Welcome to the One Oahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, October 5th, 2023, and we're back this week with Mayor Rick Blangiardi. Uh, you know, you're back on island. I know you were gone for yep. part of last week. Can you tell us about your trip to Hawaii? Yeah, well, I'm still trying to get over my denial that we're already in October, Brandy. I tell you, I don't know if I can ever remember in my life time going as fast as it's going. Yeah, I was. I was fortunate enough to attend the annual Hawaii Executive Conference meeting in Kona, and it was a a leading uh, a member uh, a meeting rather excuse me of a lot of the business leaders CEO types bank presidents but really more than anything and what we felt there was a meeting of people really concerned challenged and willing to take on the responsibility from a private sector of trying to help with the changing and challenging times we live in, all of which has been exacerbated by the Maui wildfires. And they actually did adapt the conference's um, message and meeting this year because of Maui. And so there was a lot of conversation about that. And what did you take away from that? Well, you had a chance for the first time since the fires to spend time with Mayor Bisson. Um, look, I mean, I think the one thing we all know is that there's no short fix and that this is an extremely sensitive and, and, and emotionally even devastating experience, especially for those people on island who have lost so much. There was a lot spoken about they had people there. I talked to a number of people who were from Maui who flew in to kind of give their perspective. Um, and so you can hear it in their voice. You can see it in their eyes, you know, the fear and the uncertainty about what's going to happen next, the apprehension of, of what could happen. Uh, it was just, you know, just an emotional drain. I mean, you, you, the, it's, it is so palpable, but it's also understandable in a way. And you wish to God, or you're grateful that that would never happen to you and you, you wish God didn't happen to anybody but there is a there are a loss I mean I talk to people who are living in hotels or some are living in tents still that decide that's how they wanted to go but you know some are just getting their kids back to school they're not sure of that and it was, I was talking to you the other day about they had a mortgage on a house that no longer exists and all that that brings up for them you know and anyway it's just all that stuff I mean it's it goes it goes really deep so I think, you know, we recognize that as a community, even though um, most everybody there, the business leadership uh, was from Oahu, uh, that we all are in this together and the road to recovery. It's going to be a long time, but whatever people can do, uh, they, they will do. And meanwhile, we have a lot of other things on all of our islands. You know, Mayor Roth was there, Mayor Kawakami, certainly here in Honolulu. You know, there are no small challenges facing all of us. So it was sort of like that. I think, I think what it really brought on was the uh, up close and personal feeling of just how impactful these fires are. So with those minds that were in the room, was this a meeting to kind of help Maui get back on its feet financially? Um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say so much financially. I think there's anticipation there's going to be unprecedented federal monies coming in. I that, uh, I mean, you know, with a B in front of it, I, I heard while I was there, it's a possibility of one to two billion dollars. You know, it just got approved when they avoided the government shutdown earlier this mm-hmm. week. That 16 billion dollars of uh, disaster relief for the B, 16 billion dollars was approved, and Maui was up there in the top. 
you know, at the top of the list among disaster areas. I mean, there's been a lot of natural disasters across the country in different places, as we know. And the flooding alone just last week in New York City was almost incomprehensible to see that. I thought it was bad enough a few weeks ago in Las Vegas, seeing McCarran at the airport flooding and water gushing out. But in New York City, uh, having spent a lot of time there over the years to see the subways flooded like that and yeah. all the other scenes that were there. I mean, in, in lower Manhattan, they had cars that looked like, you know, they were like three quarters of the way on the water. That, that was amazing to see. So, look, we're that was part of what we talked about is we are in a new era of um, natural disasters, flooding, fires. I mean, certainly a lot of other issues that we have to be concerned about here in Hawaii with sea level rise and other kinds of things. Um, but I think everybody is, is on alert now um, to see what we can do to mitigate, knowing that we, we are up against this now. And let's face it, you know, we know here on Oahu, and we've gone through a risk assessment, and we'll continue to report on that, you know, that we have a lot of areas that are very susceptible to having the same thing happen on Maui as far as fires spreading and spreading rapidly. How we deal with it will be a different deal, but we are, we are under no no less a threat here. And that's of something of grave importance to me and certainly all of our first responders and teams here as to how we might act should something like that happen here. Yeah, we are just a few days out from fire prevention week um, in the nation, but also here on Oahu. And what's your message for folks as we head into fire prevention? Well, we need the public. Our message is government can't do it all alone. And clearly, you know, first responders are called upon at the time of something happening to help save lives. And in this particular case, also, you know, put out fires, et cetera. Uh, but at the end of the day here, we all have to take on a feeling of responsibility. And this isn't like, you know, how some people might think, well, you know, we start talking about, um, you know, climate change and people going, well, you know, I, I recycle, but my, my efforts don't matter or whatever. I will tell you against natural disasters right now, if you are in and around areas that you have some control over or can help with to help mitigate fires and stuff, please do. I think, you know, and be aware fires can start in so many different ways. We're talking just the other day about, you know, change dragging going down the road. We've all seen that. Sometimes that could just let off a spark, for instance, that could fly and you just never know what's going to happen. So I just think we all have to raise our level of awareness because it hasn't just happened here in Hawaii. You know, I mean, I don't recall, and I typically go home at night and what all the years I spent in the broadcast business and we'll watch some national newscast on YouTube just to know what's going on elsewhere. I almost feel that mandate to do that. It seems like every single newscast, no matter which network I'm watching, and even something on cable as well, is talking about some disaster somewhere or something pending coming in. Um, it's real and it's damaging. And we just saw that in Maui. We just saw, you know, devastation. I mean, I, I take nothing away uh, from that. I mean, the, the, but even the loss of life is significant. And I just saw earlier this week, yet again, another burn victim died, this woman earlier. And so, you know, the death count has 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 been rising because we do have people in these burn units. And so it's, it's you know, it's just, it's just a very painful reminder of the reality and the threat of that reality and our need to be aware and to be responsive and to help mitigate. I don't know how else to say it. We're, we're in a, a different world order right now and it's not what it used to be and we better adapt to how it is for the sake of our future. 
I know you mentioned you spoke with Mayor Bisson, but is the plan still to go to visit him on his home island? Because that's a little... Yes, I was all set to do that, and they canceled it. Um, they postponed it, rather, and we're going to go uh, sometime not too far from now. I think I'm, I, it's, it's in, I think, by mid-October, mid and hopefully... By the next time you and I uh, get together, I'll be able to talk about my firsthand experience, even though he and I have texted and we had some conversations um, while we were there. But I, I can tell you, uh, again, talking to the people from Maui who came over to kind of offer their first, you know, their first person experience, it was... Um, it was unbelievable. I, I mean, just really, really frightening. They talked about a couple of them how they how they got out of you know uh, being stuck in traffic and what they did and how it ended up saving their lives. I mean, these are really um, harrowing stories that really were a question of people living and dying. And um, it doesn't get any more real than that or any more serious than that. Over the weekend, the Lahaina Luna Varsity football team yeah. defeated the Baltimore Bears. They 42 did. zip in their first game I know. since those fires. Uh, yeah, just your thoughts. And if you watch any of the coverage on that. Well, I didn't watch any of the coverage. I think really great for Lahaina Luna. I think they needed something joyous over there. I think that was one of the things people talked about uh, was it was hard to feel happy again. You know, the sadness. And I think we're all feeling that. You know, I this is been so impactful. I, I, I said to somebody just the other day, you know, sometimes when something bad happens and we're all human and we all have emotional connections to things and we kind of play through and after a few days, maybe it, it seems less, you know, this is lingering. This, this sense of loss is so profound, uh, both in life, property, but even the conceptually talk, talking about losing a town, a whole town that was world renowned, right? I mean, uh, for its history and its quaintness and it's just its speciality, if you will, of what it meant when you were visiting Maui to go to Lahaina. It was just, you know, the old seafaring whaling town and all that rich history and and the everything about Front Street and all the magic of it all um, gone. Really, really difficult to accept. But pretty incredible that football kind of has a way to bring people together. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I agree. That's a good. That's a good point. And I think good for those kids. Look, it is. If anything was in the theme of last week was the resiliency, and nobody wants to be cavalier about anything, but we need to go forward. This is the human experience, and there are people. And was talked about last week at the conference as well that have endured painful chapters in times that we sometimes in modern day talk about that. And I don't really stop to think about just how difficult that was. And so, this is about the power of the. Human human spirit people of all of us our ancestors especially endured difficult times traumatic times um, there's no question now the reality of this the newness of this is impactful but it's not something that we can't live through work through uh, and need to do so so that's what's sort of the message of the day and I think football being such a physical game is kind of a gritty reminder even at that level about this um, the power of the human spirit and, and those young men playing that game and their determination to win um, uh, it's pretty pretty incredible I want to ask you about some sad news that we got over the weekend um, the passing of former NFL tight end Russ Francis in a plane crash in New York known for those here in Hawaii as a sportscaster as well yeah um, you know the Super Bowl or the Pro Bowl or the 
all of that. All I mean, I think, you know, Russ grew up the son of, you know, Ed Francis, a great wrestling yeah. promoter, and the Francis family was famous. But, I mean, you know, Russ went on and really early on when we had some really outstanding um, players in college and professional sports not a proliferation of them and and at that time you didn't have the same kind of proliferation of teams being covered and names being thrown out and all the other things today there's so much celebrity if you will you know uh, depending on the media outlet you choose there's just a lot of back in the day when there wasn't that you know certain iconic names uh, or athletic performances or individuals stood out and Russ became exactly that he would be became a legend in the NFL and Howard Cosell uh, of Monday Night Football fame and other other things, Muhammad Ali especially, but as one of the great announcers of the last century, you know, dubbed him all world on a Monday Night mm-hmm. Football game and it kept with that, talked about it a lot and, um, and he was sort of at that level and I, I said earlier and with all due respect to Russ, I don't know how he'd feel about it if he was alive today, but saying he was a Travis Kelsey of his day is probably not a bad thing to say, <laughs> uh, especially since I'm not a, I'm not really a Kansas City fan yeah. for some reason. I don't know why I'm not, but he's a great, great player. Uh, Russ had distinguished himself that way at, at, at that position. You know, there are other, some other tight ends, John Mackey, Hall of Famer. I mean, that position of tight end, you know, um, there's a number of different names that could uh, come into play, but they were they were like I said iconic and 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 Russ moved right into that league of, you know he didn't make it into the NFL Hall of Fame but um, in his playing days uh, he was considered just flat out great and he was. Uh, later today, you'll be taking part in the Men's March Against Violence, that annual event to engage men um, in our communities to come together as allies against domestic violence. And once again, you are one of those men. Why does this mean so much to you? Well, because it's so prevalent. You know, the statistics on on, um, domestic violence, uh, both against women and and even children, is obscene. And those statistics, quite honestly and and regrettably, you know, they don't seem to be getting necessarily that much better, despite all the awareness being created. So at some point, somebody, some places, when you get together on things like this and show your support, you you know, and for many years when I was in broadcasting, I can't tell you any either news stories or public service announcement programs or things that we did. I know when, uh, at Hawaii News Now, we dedicated a lot of time and effort to just say no, that campaign that went national. Um, we did all this stuff, and yet the numbers are crazy. You know, it's still a very high percentage of, of women who are abused, men who are doing the abuse. Um, and it, it could be reversed, but that's really a very small uh, percentage of people. But it's the fact that the vulnerable people, women and children, being abused, there should be no place for that in our society. Uh, Mayor, you took part in another neighborhood security walk in Waianae recently. Mm-hmm. Your administration recently signed off on releasing funds for the Waianae Police Station Improvement Project, uh, but yet another fatal shooting on the West Coast. Is that frustrating? Yes, of course it's frustrating. It's, um, look, we're up against that, the proliferation of guns that are out there and the access to them and uh, the fact that, uh, 
you know, I know the, there was a stabbing here, but, you know, the fact that people are using lethal means either through the stabbing or, or shootings, and, and that's how they're choosing to deal with arguments or confrontations, whatever it is that preceded the incident is, um, it's it's really most unfortunate. You know, I, I, I grew up in a different era, and that was a long time ago, where, you know, if there was a disagreement, maybe it'd be a fist fight, you know, and, but today it just, um, the fact that people are willing to deal with situations or circumstances that can create death and then the impact that it has on them as well, you know, they're gonna, their lives that are being ruined all the way around, not only the person or the victim who's been killed and the impact on those families, but the person themselves has committed that and whatever it means for them, and it's certainly not gonna be good for them uh, or even their respective families to say, you know, I, don't know, I can't imagine I can't imagine from a parenting standpoint to think that one of your children was killed or more so you had a child that you raised and as you can imagine from infancy you know from birth to all the things and raising a kid that one day kills somebody for 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 no for no good reason whatsoever the shame of that the feeling you must have of that the the anguish that must cause these are all incomprehensible things you know um and yet it happens and it's been happening and this triple stabbing was especially when there was an older gentleman uh i, I have not read all the police details uh but it's really hard to get your head around it really really is you delivered remarks this week for UN World Habitat Day. Yeah. This year's theme, it's an interesting one. Adequate housing for the spectrum of need in Honolulu. What, what does that mean? Well, the fact is, you know, we go from people who are living paycheck to paycheck, uh, and we have a significant percentage of our population. It's called the ALICE population. That's an acronym. stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. And what that means against, you know, what they can afford for housing. And, you know, it's typically, you know, they, they talk in terms of, you know, they use this acronym AMI and how much they can allocate towards rent or ownership. So it's, um, it's recognizing that across our workforce, you know, in wanting to keep people here in Hawaii, have them stay, that we have people earning at all different levels and different capabilities of paying. And so it's not just about building it on the lower end for people who are maybe working, you know, on a, on a minimum wage job and providing housing for them, but it's also going up the ladder on the other side for young working professionals looking to, you know, have the aspirations of living a good life and making sure that there's reasonable places for them to live as well uh, in what you would call workforce housing. Um, so it's, it's really that whole spectrum. And then, of course, there's people, you know, with higher means later on in life, accomplished whatever, and, you know, is there housing for them? So it's really trying to run that whole gamut of how, you know, reflective, if you will, of what the demography of an island looks like. And it really runs from of those people who, you know, and then even those people who require HUD subsidies. And HUD was actually present at the meeting. And we do a lot of HUD subsidies through our Department of Community Service here, uh, people getting vouchers to complement and supplement their rent. It's kind of understanding that we need housing to meet all those demands. I know much gets talked about affordable, what's affordable, what's not affordable. Pe people tend to think that's all just on the lower end of the spectrum. And while we have a shortage of homes there, we also have a crisis or a need 
uh, across the board for even more housing because you have a teacher and a fireman or two professionals, young professionals, where they're starting out in their careers or maybe been in their careers for just a few years, not going to want to raise a family. They're looking for a decent place to live. Do we have housing like that? Just as much as do we have housing for people who are, you know, sometimes in some cases in families working three or four jobs. And so is that implemented into your strategy, creating yes. that for maybe the 80 to 100 percent AMI? Yes, yeah, it's going all the way. Actually, it goes pretty much from 60 and even a little bit below on what we're trying to do with some of the developers on our Bill 7 and what they'd be able to build because that's why we're providing the financial incentives and you know, other offerings so it will pencil out for them. And that's part of the reason why we don't have that kind of housing because this is unprecedented with our administration and the things that we're trying to get done to help them financially so the project itself will work out so we can do that but yeah that's it's um you know i uh when i spoke to the group you know i told them that um you know the challenges of being mayor uh have always been there i'm sure even for the people preceding me our housing needs right now are at an incredible place and the place that I don't think we have ever been before. You know, we've had now seven straight years of migration. Uh, last year, we lost a net 14,000 people, uh, but that was the net number. I've been told by prominent people that we've really lost 50,000 people, but 30-some-odd thousand moved in. But that's 50,000, and you can imagine, and maybe even you know someone, I know I do and have, that's 50,000 people have just kind of giving up. Nobody really wanted to live here, but the math didn't work. They just couldn't get housing, which is so basic in one's needs. Um, they just couldn't. They just couldn't pay for it. They, or they couldn't find it, even if they had the ability. And that's the challenge. If we have people who are working, who can pay, but they can't find it, that's another problem. So, the, most of my experience with people who leave here, they don't want to leave. They leave so reluctantly. Hawaii remains a part of their lives and is their home. It's, and that's what's sad about. It. That's why, at this moment in time here, as we get ready to. You know, we're not far away from 2024 coming in and for the rest of our administration the city itself is now in a position and one of the things we've worked on hard for the last couple of years to get ourselves in a position will at least be facilitating in the building of of, of housing and we estimate we think we can get about 18,000 done between now and when we leave office that will have averaged out about 2200 units a year and we've changed laws and we've done a lot of other things in different departments to make that happen but that's that's our commitment I think half of them will be in rental area and the other half will be for sale but it's really having the city be a partner with developers to make sure and that's by participating with them financially and using our affordable housing funds our private activity bonds understanding working collaboratively with the state on the 201h and the everything else that we can possibly do uh, creatively because it's that important for us to lose 50,000 people in a year who just simply gave up because they couldn't make ends meet and the math didn't work you have to pay attention to that that's really a crucial crucial thing going forward for the fabric of our society because those people that are moving we don't want them to move it's not just the numbers it's who they are and what they represent to the fabric of this place so are you talking about like young people that still could have a career here because young know, people who would have a career like, here yeah people young people have a career here um you know even 
people of all, of all in all demographics, uh, but certainly younger people who have a future here, who really, if I can say it this way, represent you know your tax base too in their earning power. I mean that's part of how society works. So you want to be able to keep them here and working and raising their families and you know and paying their bills as they go along and just contributing. You know, you don't get a whole lot of bunch of wealthy people move in here who are not really working, who are in some cases paying taxes elsewhere. Uh, I mean, that's, that's after a while, it becomes very dilutive. We need your critical mass. So we've had seven straight years of out-migration. Last year was the most pronounced and a net number of around 14,000. But if you stop and do that and look at it, that's 1% of our state's population. That's a lot even on a net basis. And like I said, who moved out, who moved in? I don't know the people who moved in. I certainly don't want to disparage them, but I know the people who moved out, I'm sure most of them did so regrettably because we just couldn't provide the basic needs of housing for them. I don't think it's a job market situation. There are a lot of jobs out there. Uh, it's just a question of the very basic need to have good housing. You got a new member on your cabinet this week in the Mayor's Office of Culture and the Arts in Ka'ili Trask, O'Connell. Uh, what do you like about Ka'ili and what are your expectations? For I think we liked everything about Ka'ili. You know, we were um, going into it hoping that we would find somebody exactly like Ka'ili. Uh, and sure enough, she showed up. So um, she brings... She brings a lot of experience, and most recently, and I talked to some of her past employers, and they were very, very high on her, and she actually stayed at Title Guarantee for a long time, so I don't think she had that many, but she's actually um, a very good uh, executive coach. She brings a really good leadership understanding to the job. Uh, you know, we, we want a lot to happen with that department, and I think... Um, Khalil is very sensitive and, and, and certainly very culturally fluent. She was a Miss Hawaii Aloha, I think. I think she uh, um, very, very good in dance, but she's, she's broader um, in, in her scope of understanding uh, our community. And certainly, while our, I think our Hawaiian part of um, our, our support of the culture and the arts is absolutely critical, and we interface at a high level. We all know that Hawaii is culturally diverse. We're broader than that. And I think uh, Ely brings a perspective there and a capability there. Um, and so it's. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to her leadership with her team and what she's able to create there and, and, and the uh, men and women at home she'll be uh, taking over with. October marks Honolulu Pride Month. Hmm. Uh, how is the city celebrating this year? Well, to the best of my knowledge, we're going to be having a big parade yeah. and we're going to be lighting up Honolulu Hale. And, uh, you know, I have just so happened I traveled last year. But I'm going to be in the parade this year. And I think that, uh, you know, we're going to raise the flag again as we have and leave it up all month long over at the Fossey Memorial Grounds. And uh, look, we've been very supportive of our LGBTQ community. Um, we have a number of employees here at the city or members of that community. I think what we're trying to do is uh, the spirit and the essence of of our living here together is a community, and that is to blur the lines, and that is to have everybody feel included, loved, and appreciated. It's their their, their right to exist, if you will. And I'm 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 proud to say that I think um, here at the city and county of Honolulu that um, we show a lot of support in everything we do to our, to the members of our LGBTQ community. It's around this time parents start to order their 
children's Halloween costumes Mwah. so that it gets to Oahu on time. Yes. Out of all the members in your cabinet, who's the scariest? Wow. That's a really interesting question because, you know, they don't need a costume for the scary ones, you know? I don't know. I, I, I got to be careful here. What a loaded question, boy. I, I forget her, you know? Maybe I should pick on Mike Formby and say he's the scariest. He because can be a little scary. <laughs> he can be. Yeah. Uh, Mike is our managing director, by the way. You know, if he hears this, he's not going to be happy with me. <laughs> but I feel safer saying Mike because I could maybe talk Mike off the cliff a little bit if he hears this but no I look we uh, I, I love our team and I'm, I, I speak with confidence about the road ahead not just in housing but other things because of the quality of men and women we have on our team their capabilities the fact that we're doing everything we can to help them reach their potential all of us understanding this city's counting on us delivering so you know uh, if there's anybody scary in the group, it might be me, actually. So, and I have to ask you this because it's talk of the world, the internet world. Rumor has it Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are dating. Do you even care? You know, actually, I do. You know, I do. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, I do. I, I don't know. I was hoping that one of my sons would meet, you know, Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, no, I look, I. I would tell you, I, I have watched that now for a couple of weeks on national television, and I find it fascinating that even some of the Kansas City game that I saw last weekend, he made some great plays as he does. Of course, it was against the Jets, but he still he made some great plays, and then was looking up in the stands, you know, like smitten there. And of course, the cameras are zooming over to her, and she's cheering like crazy. Uh, two extraordinarily talented people in their own right. I I think it's it's it's. Uh, it's kind of a fun story to you know I, i'm up for the fun stuff and this seems like uh uh almost a made-up thing in a movie that the female superstar and she is a superstar and the male superstar and he is a superstar somehow found themselves in the same galaxy and and they're dating each other i just want rights to their kids if they get married that's all because there's kids are bound to be destined for some kind of greatness do you know any taylor swift songs no no. <laughs> no. Oh, wait, no, no. I, I, well, you know what? That's not fair. That's, you know, I mean, I'm stuck in the 60s, admittedly. You know, uh, that'd be like me asking you, tell me what song the Dan Leas sang or, you know, the five satins. Yeah. Um, you know, okay. that would like go over your head, right? Uh, I, I, some of her songs kind of go in the back of my head. I just couldn't tell you the titles. Okay. All right. Well, Mary. Uh, Thank you for your time. This is the one Oahu podcast. Yeah. So for one final thought. Yeah, well, no, I, my final thought is I'm going to bone up on my Taylor Swift song <laughs> so I can be prepared for you. Look, uh, to be serious for a moment, these are challenging times for all of us. Challenging to be leaders, challenging for all of us living our lives. Uh, the world is changing, continues to change more now than ever. And Hawaii is so ideal for this. We need to be together, to hang together. You know, we talked today about the crimes going on and the violence and stuff like that. There's no place for that. We we talked about domestic abuse. There's no place for that. You know, we are a people that take pride in a thing called the Aloha Spirit. We are a very unique place on this planet. We need to understand that we're all blessed and privileged to live here, and we should be living here together in the kind of harmony this place is so capable of allowing us to do. So with that, I just thank everybody, all those good people that are out there, because we only see here about the bad, for doing exactly what I just said. I thank you for that, and we continue on together. Mayor, thank you. You're welcome.
and thank you for listening. If you have a question for the mayor, submit your podcast questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. And we'll answer those questions right here on the One Oahu podcast. Until next time, aloha. Aloha.